Welcome to Electronic Music Life. I'm your host, James Locksmith, where we interview inspiring guests who provide insight into the electronic music industry, breaking down business, the creative process, wellness, lifestyle, and culture. We'll reveal practical tools and tangible support on electronic music entrepreneurship and how to overcome its obstacles. I'm so pleased to be back with a new reboot of my podcast. To kick things off, I've gone back into the vault of previous unreleased conversations with guests from around the world. What I found from revisiting the archive was something special and interesting to me. The where we were and where we are now aspect of artists and music creators, which is something for all of us to be proud of and recognize no matter where you are on your journey, you may not see it, and believe it or not, there has been progress from a time that was bleak and dark for most of us. Many have also recognized there was so much gain from pausing from what we had and knew how. In this episode, I'm speaking with a London-born and raised DJ, radio host, A&R guy, curator, consultant, Raj Chaduri, aka Raji Rags, who's considered in his hometown and around the globe as a key tastemaker for electronic music, hip-hop, house and techno. You may recognize him from NTS Radio or previously head of music for Boiler Room. He's worked on releases by the likes of Object, Hudson Mohawk, Flying Lotus, No Such Thing and Marcel Detman to name a few. Raj has established himself as one of the most pivotal figures not only in the London music landscape, also across many cities and as a trusted DJ. Taken from my archive of pandemic interviews, this conversation took place in November 2020. Raj and I spoke about A&R, record releases, and making use of your time productively during the pandemic. We discussed our love for hip-hop from a young age, the choice of a music career against a conventional career, and being recognized musically across multiple genres globally. Raj Chaduri, aka Raji Rags, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. Yeah. I, I, um, I, I've been wanting to have a chat with you for quite some time now, and uh, I, um, I have, was sort of opened up to a little window to who you are musically and professionally from years ago from your Jay Diller podcast. And oh wow, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So I, I, um, I, so I didn't really, I didn't realize that you were such a hip hop head, to be quite honest. Um, and oh then, yeah, big time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I've now now realised that. Um, and also, like when you were at the helm of um, of Boiler Room, uh, you know, as the head of music, um, we I had uh, some email exchange with you back then. Um, not sure if you remember, but I was uh, when I first kind of I think it was the first for first few years when I moved to the region, and. I um, had reached out to you guys through Aaron um, in Australia, uh, Aaron right. Flanagan. Uh, I don't actually remember this. Huh? I don't remember this. Yeah, but, that's okay. Yeah. That's fine, man. You would have got a thousand emails <laughs> from various people from around the world. But I, I, it was only it was a few, it was a little bit of exchange, and I was I was hoping to try to like explore how to get Boiler Room into the region and. It's been years since since then, and and obviously Boiler Room is now. Um, 
What did I say? <laughs> I oh, no, no, you, uh, you were you were you were very uh, very helpful and and being completely honest with me, like so it wasn't ready for time for the, to to enter this market at the time, and yeah. and you guys were exploring, um, you know, I think and Bradley Zero was still working with you guys as well, so he'd yeah. been making a few. He'd come over and he was making some trips through the region already, sort of establishing yeah, yeah. new relationships and what have you. So anyway. Cut a long story short. I'm glad. That's I, interesting. I'm, I didn't realize. That. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> Thanks for. I just hope I was polite. You were. You were definitely. <laughs> there was. There was definitely a point where I was head of music at Boiler Room where my inbox, my phone, my messages were just like hundreds of people saying, <laughs> no "How do I get a Boiler Room? How do I do this? How do that?" It was like hard to hard to keep up. No you know, doubt. It was, it was a fun job. <laughs> well, thanks again for for coming on today. I, I um. One of the things I wanted to chat to you about is um, your A&R role and the significance of an A&R person during this time and, and how to keep the wheels turning. I, you know, according to articles and, and what I see online and reports and what I've heard from other label owners as well, record sales seem to be up. Um, how are you finding this at the moment? And, and yeah, tell me the, how does an A&R person keep the, the juices flowing now during this time? Um, it's a good question. I mean, like, uh, I was just a and r for R&S. We won't talk about it too much, but yep. I just left that mm -hmm. role. But um, A&R, &A I mean, it's the same, same as ever, really. Like, there's, there's always a market for people buying music. There's, I think there's even more of a market in, in the world I particularly sort of inhabit and I'm a fan of and I'd consider peers... Um, a lot of people are going straight to consumers with things like Bandcamp. There's much more of a DIY ethic, especially when live and uh, touring nightlife has all just disappeared. Um, so, and also everyone's stuck at their house, like making music, right? <laughs> so I think it, um, there's obviously challenges with a time like this, especially with the economy and people losing income, but I also think there's been a huge, I've definitely seen this huge burst of creativity, productivity. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, there's, there's a lot of people, talented people who are actually probably, like, I'm actually one of them. I've started making music this year because of lockdown and uh, I've released a few tracks and compilations and um, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't think anything like an A&R role is essentially working with artists discovering artists and working with, i don't think anything's really changed what's changed is um it's not necessarily the process of of that side it's more the process of how does an artist make money how do they how do they release what's the best route for them do you go over label do you self-release how do you make a career in a time where you know i i think you know the pandemic's raised a lot of questions in the sort of music industry, which probably maybe needed to be addressed because a lot of producers and music makers and stuff might not earn that much money because their revenue stream is small. If you're talking about streaming platforms like Spotify and Apple Music or whatnot, or, you know, less people are buying actual, you know, sort of to own, um, to own music. So they go off stream platforms, which means the payout's small. So 
the music industry suddenly veered towards live being a more important part of income or brand deals or or whatnot. So I think that probably needed to be redressed because it felt a bit uh, too heavily weighted where, you know, superstar DJs who might not even release music can earn big figures and and, and the music that's being played by that DJ, Mm. those people aren't earning a fraction of that, you know? So um, I don't think anything's changed with the role of A&R. I think, well, I mean, an A&R's role is is the same to find music but I think what is changing is the whole you know climate around it and the whole sort of like infrastructure because um, because certain revenue streams have been um, blocked off because of the pandemic so but that that was my I wanted to ask you so budget restrictions are now you know that that is a limitation because budgets aren't the same and there's no kind of like but however if there's music sales um, obviously, that's where the where revenue is and distribution, your Spotify's and what have you. But, um, but in terms of obviously, there's no touring, so that's another big chunk of the income stream that's mm. not available right now. Um, so yeah, yeah, I mean, I speak to a lot of labels. I was just working with RNS. I've, I've been in quite close contact with Warp. I've had chats with Nin, Nin, like. I mean, most labels, they've, mo- most have put back their release, I'm, you know, I'm mainly in the independent, I don't really kind of, my world isn't the major label world. Right. Um, but then obviously a lot of friends I know run small labels and stuff, but most labels um, have pushed back releases because of more to do with timing and like communication. And there is, t- touring was a part of pushing an artist or uh, an album campaign or something, which obviously it is kind of put on hold, but a lot of labels haven't been impacted that much or the people I've been speaking to with sales. Um, They've restructured how their rollout plan for music and stuff, but um, the the money hasn't necessarily shrunk with um, with, uh, the income through music releases. It's more the other stuff around it. Mm. So... Um, so release schedules though have 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 uh, yeah mo- loads yeah. of labels have pushed back their yeah. schedule loads yeah. push push through to next year mm. um, some in the hope that you know touring kicks back off and and uh, you know touring around a release is is normally a big part of 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 get getting it out there and getting it out to different regions and cities and 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 whatnot on a sort of like old school. Right, we tour it around, and then every city we go, we 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 hit it up, and we try yeah. to do, you know. Um, but um, the, I mean, I I remember at the start of like the year when like the pandemic was kicking off, the 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 rule of thumb was you know don't release any music now until it's over. Then all of a sudden you start seeing people still pushing putting music out and on the labels, and most of them. Granted, most of them are, um, you know, with the big budgets are the sort of superstar artists, whether it's dance music or pop music, it, either way, you're still seeing music coming out. Even down to yeah. the independent label, like independent labels, there's still music coming out. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, music will, music will, always, music will always come out. Mm-hmm. And I actually think in times like, like, like this, there's... Um, 
there's going to be more a, 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 a sort of you know people are going to talk about this this is as a, a period of in history yeah for sure and 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 with that there's always like a documentation or or you know sort of movement or something that comes out of it be it art music literature because uh, this is something that you know when when's when's the last time something affected the world all like gl- globally and ubiquitous is this yeah, yeah. you know so um i don't think um sorry i kind of lost my train of thought no that's all right <laughs> um we're, we're saying uh the, the 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 i guess the the music's still coming out and it's not. It's not really. Look, I, I would have to agree with you though. There, there is, um, there is a, a shift in the way because I actually think some of the music that's been coming out this year has been incredible, based yeah. probably because of the pandemic. Because people are, I don't know, being more creative. I don't know what it is, but some of the yeah. music that's coming out this year is just amazing. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I totally agree. Mm. So. Um, so you're, are you going to continue doing any sort of independent A&R work? Uh, yeah, it's kind of been work, figured out at the moment. I'm working quite closely um, with a band um, and we're putting together a collaborative project or collaborative album, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, that's going to have a lot of artists from mainly the UK, but a few US artists all involved a lot of different um vocalists and singers and 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 um it's good i can't i i i, I hate to be there but i can't really talk about it yet because um we're sort of like you know it's still early days well yeah we'll, I mean, we'll probably finish half the album but um yeah and i've just kind of uh got got, got involved with them it's, it's like essentially an old friend who is an incredible uh, drummer in this band and we just sort of like timing was actually good timing was actually good because um if he asked me to manage this band a year ago i would have said no right but you know <laughs> because i was a, a busy guy but uh now i'm like oh the clubs are cl- the clubs are closed i can't tour i can't travel yeah, let's do this. So we, we so we we've kind of we've kind of put it together, and it's it's people I've known for a while, and some of the artists we're working with, uh, some of my favorite artists of all time, if I'm honest. And mm. um, but yeah, that that's going to be coming out at some point next year. No, I, I look forward to it. I'm looking forward yeah. to it. So, so uh, you know, the the biggest challenges that uh, you're facing right now, I would say, are sort of um, finding new ways to adapt to like new, in- like we'll bring new income streams. So this would be one of them, managing artists, managing bands. Yeah. So is there anything else that you're doing at the, um, to help, you know, get you through it and, and other kind of creative ideas that you've got happening at the moment? I mean, the big thing is uh, I've, been, I've been a DJ for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, just before the pandemic, although to be fair, I actually was in Asia when it kind of kicked off and then I came over. Right, and I was like, "Oh, I had an Asia tour planned, right?" And then right. I was like, um, all of my Asia tour got cancelled because of COVID nineteen." But don't worry, I will go back to the UK and I've got a bunch of gigs lined up. And then I came, and then UK went into lockdown. Came back, 
But um, the big thing just before lockdown, I started making music and got got a studio space, and that's kind of how I hooked up with um, um, uh, this uh, this drummer friend and um, the, working with the band. But the big thing I've really been focusing on um, is making music, which is it's a crazy thing where I've DJ'd and worked in music my whole life, and it was one of those things where I'm like, I should really make tunes, you know, like I'm. I've surrounded by this is my day job. It's my night job for the clubs. And I've always, I've always just used the excuse of not having time to, Oh yeah, well I'm just really busy. And I probably was very busy, but mm. uh, the big thing was making tunes and really focusing on actually doing that. And I enjoy it and love it so much. I'm like, I don't know why the hell I didn't do this sooner because it's really easy to use the excuse of, time not having it um and i think a lot can be said for like ha having breaking up your time so that you've got your work time and you've got some downtime but i've definitely watched things like you know breaking bad box set series when you <laughs> count the amount of hours you're like oh like i just dedicated a hundred hours right. to this one show it's a putting in a hundred hours you could, you could you could like you could learn learn a language or something like <laughs> And I, I have like actually enjoyed making music where I consider it like downtime and it's an enjoyable process. And I'm like, there's obviously frustrations with learning anything new, frustrations of knowing what you want to do and not being able to do it. And that sort of learning curve that you have on yourself and your own feelings of, you know, I wouldn't call it inadequacy, but you know, the sort of like not, not being where you want to be yet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which when, you know, after a certain age and you've been working, you've been DJing for a certain amount of time, almost learning a new skill, you're, you're, you're back to being a beginner. And, mm. um, triggers uh, all these, it triggers all thoughts, doesn't it? Yeah. It yeah. It's like, it's like, it's like anything when you're starting out, there's yeah. the, there's the sort of initial bars of like, Oh cool. I'm doing something new. Then, then you hit a bit of a, a, a block with your learning curve and, yeah, yeah, and then yeah. you get frustrated and, 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 and you need to persevere through that where, you don't really need to persevere through watching Breaking Bad. You just flick on the next episode and yeah, like, yeah. You, you just, you, your mind switches off where yeah. you actually have to, your downtime or the sort of enjoyable time, which you want to turn into something, ends up being, does feeling like work because mm -hmm. you, get, you have to overcome certain. But I think, um, you know, like a lot of people, I've had to readjust, but making music is a big focus. It's not yet really earning me money, but it's definitely a fun process. And I see, uh, I, you know, I, I'm not doing it to make money. I'm just doing it because it's fun. But in terms of readjusting, uh, you know, I just did some like kind of paid live streams earlier this year. I do, I do loads. I've always been, since leaving, um, I've been a freelancer for a while. Uh, since I left Boiler Room, um, I've always been a person who just kind of helps out on random little things. So I still kind of do that. I guess you'd call it music consulting for, you know, labels and um, different sort of brands. So I guess I've still been doing that, like um, kind of doing little bits with Warp, um, kind of working a bit with Spitfire Audio who make um, uh, like software instruments and, and uh, what else have I been doing? And I did some like consulting for a label. I just like, I don't know. Sometimes people just want to chat to me and I chat back. <laughs> Will you pay me for that? Like, okay, yeah, great. <laughs> Sweet. 
Um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm not gonna lie. It's been it's been it's been hard. Like the not, not e- even when I had day jobs, which um, you know, I left my day job, left my day, day job boiler room. I did that because in the background, I always had clubs. Like clubs have kind of been my main source of income for mm. most of my adult life. Mm-hmm. Or not if not my main, it's always been there on the side, and then it grew to a point where you know it pays me as much as a full time job, and that's all been taken away from what me. aspect what aspect of just touring or um program and so no i ran a i ran a, a, a i mean i still do but obviously we haven't done one since february but i run a party called living proof yeah i was is, gonna i wanted is, to talk to you about that, party. Yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah and it is um for a long while it was kind of which is funny it's it's funny before we started this call it People know me either as like, oh, Boiler Room or RNS or Bleep, and they're like, think I'm the techno guy. And there's a whole, there's a whole section of London who have no idea that I do that. Yeah, yeah. And they just know me as the hip hop guy. Right. So it's, the, it's the other way around. <laughs> it's, the, it's this weird, like, you know, dual personality <laughs> where depending on how you've interacted with me, like you've sent me an email when I was head of music at Boiler Room. So you'll be like, oh, this guy must be a techno guy. <laughs> And then there's probably kids in London who've just seen me play at hip hop parties for yeah. X amount of years. And it, as, as on a personal level, the duality is great because on the one side, there's like a more industry focus working with labels and A&R and independent electronic music. And then the other side, there's a party I've been running with my friends for years that's, you know, did well. Um, but on a personal level, like when it comes to me as a DJ and wanting to DJ places or making music, that that um that duality can often face challenges i'm not trying to complain about it i've been very lucky but mm. i did a t-shirt earlier this year that uh well it was something i wrote because when i did a mixtape uh during lockdown i wrote two techno for the hip-hop kids and two hip-hop for the techno yeah crowd. i think i saw that <laughs> and i de- definitely uh, have felt that a bit because um you know, in London, I kind of like mainly get played to um, uh, book to DJ hip hop. But outside of London, on a because uh, my party is a very London focused mm. party, like a hip hop party in London. Like we don't have radio, we don't we don't do anything sort of on a like online settings. It's like it's a party in London. If you like hip hop in London, you know about it. But mm. beyond on a sort of like outside of London, you know, no one really knows about it. But um, outside of london i get booked to play electronic music and sometimes i'm in london going why can't i like i don't like sometimes i don't really like that pigeonhole because mm. if you listen to my radio show my uh or even my a and r or anything i've done my, my music tastes are very broad yes yeah, right and yeah. i i actually hate that sort of pigeonholing and um um but you know it is it is it is, it is what it is yeah um, yeah I would like, think it's it's always, especially when you, because um, that's kind of one of the challenges I've always faced is in terms of my um, broad taste in music as well. Uh, I, I, I started pushing more sort of disco and house and techno here in Dubai. So that's kind of like what people sort of know me of. But in Australia, people know me as the, the global beats guy and hip hop guy, you yeah. know, so it, it, there's this, I mean, I, I try to, play all of it really in my music set in in the sets but i understand i can relate to to that um it's funny how a different region or part of the world will think of you as one thing because it's how you've engaged with that particular 
Yeah, yeah. You know, so you sent me an email when I was at Boiler Room. So when you were like, I didn't realize you were hip hop, that's because you've engaged with me online that's over right. a, a music, an online music platform, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. while um, many people in London will not even know I do that. And mm. I've just been to a party that DJ that where it's like a genre hit, you know, it, my party was a hip hop party. And I get it. Like, I, like there's a reason sometimes those pigeonholes exist because if you came to a hip hop party and a DJ was playing techno, you'd be like, well, what the fuck is this? I didn't pay for this. Like, I'm, <laughs> you know, so like, <laughs> I, I, I get it. But um, obviously sort of as a creative, um, creative ambition, sometimes you want to be a bit more free than that, mm. which is why I think I enjoy radio so much because there's no, there's no you can you can dip in and out of different ways yeah of course but i think yeah. uh, like as i said at the start i i i um after hearing your your piece on jay diller on donuts and the your your in-depth info that you had on there i was just like okay he's not just talking about jay diller's record like he, he, this guy knows the, you know some stories behind oh, it oh uh, <laughs> yeah i mean like, i'm jay i'm jay i'm jay diller obsessed yeah like, yeah <laughs> i'm like you know there's there's not there's not much i haven't sort of like delved into in terms of the discography of jay diller yeah 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 like you know it's def it was definitely like a musical obsession mm. <laughs> uh <laughs> And one I wear proudly as well. Like, yeah, you know, just, I'm uh, a hip hop kid since day one. <laughs> so I was a kid, so I, I, it, it's basically that's what started my whole music career. Really, just being obsessed with, with hip hop, you know. Yeah, and I, I, I got into electronic music after, like later in my teens. Yeah, I do mm. think there's a beautiful thing about hip hop because it's such a, it's such a gateway drug for so many <laughs> other types of music. Like if you really get into hip hop then you get into the art form and the sampling and the, the leading on to, you know, because now when I buy a record, I, I DJ mainly now with, you know, digitally, you know, USBs or record box or whatnot. But when I buy records and vinyl, I'm mainly buying like gospel and jazz and soul. And, mm-hmm. you know, and I definitely think that's because of, as a hip hop kid, you look into it and, and the sources and, and then suddenly you're like, oh, actually, you know, maybe I don't need Primo or Dilla to flip this. Maybe I could just listen to the original <laughs> and you start getting into yeah. like a whole world of music, like, you know, prog rock and yeah. prat rock and all types of stuff, which <laughs> I definitely think um, hip hop was a, a real important gateway drug for me to develop my music taste mm. um, a much bro- broader and wider. Yeah. Well, I, 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 there was a, a, a peer of mine when I was, um, you know, uh, I started a, a little label back in the early 2000, 99, 2000. And it was a production thing that I started. And the guy who I was working with at the time, he, he's, um, he used to say to me, it's all hip hop, man. It's all hip hop. House, techno, it's all hip hop. It's just dumbfound me. But then I understood where he was coming from, you know, like the, I kind of agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. It's the ethos is like where it comes from, you know, like the, the extended breaks, the, the whole DJ philosophy. It, it really does come from hip hop when you think about mm. it, like <laughs> it's, it's yeah. all hip hop. You know? So yeah. it, it, you but then, uh, yeah. And then I mean, like, you know, we, I, I, it's, it's a, yeah. Cause then hip hop comes from like 
down to some culture and yes. cool work and all and and you know and then but then there's also just the history of black music and yep. there's so many different things i mean it's all it's all it's all music <laughs> tell me so the living proof and um the bubble chamber collective yeah uh, they're the, they're things that are keeping you busy still at the moment or no they were they're they my were. parties right the living living proof is the hip-hop party and um, Bubble Chamber is a rave, basically. Yeah. We do with a bunch of friends. Friends I all met um, at Boiler Room, actually. Um, and we, we would just would throw little raves in the back of pubs. So we did it in a sex dungeon one time. We kind of found a home in this place called uh, Unit 18, which is like a, like a sort of like industrial garage kind of warehouse-y thing. Um, yeah, I, uh, they were sort of um keeping me busy until lockdown but yeah they're essentially two parties collect stroke dj collectives yeah um again on the sort of like the hip-hop side one and uh, i wouldn't yeah. call it techno i would call it a just like rave because it could just as easily be like crazy jungle and electro or yeah. or, or or like <laughs> max loves to play a bit of like crazy trance and like it's just a Finish at like eight AM vibe, rave, you know, like. So, I, where I was like, what I wanted to ask you was, is there anything that from from those those projects that that you are still doing at the moment to keep them sort of in the, you know, in the spotlight? Uh, living proof, not so much. Mm. Like living proof, we're all individually doing stuff. So it's four members. I'm the only one left in London, even though it's a started as a London party. Budgie moved to LA, um, and he's smashing it. He's a producer. Uh, he's been he's worked on the last two Kanye albums. Um, he's just um, produced a bunch of tracks on New Action Bronston. Wow. Um, he's just in LA doing what he does best, which is smoking weed and making beats. <laughs> And then Khalil and Snips are both in New York, uh, both sort of like working DJs. But oh, so you guys are all spread Nip, out. Yeah, we're mm. all very spread out. Yeah. Right. Um, I'm the only one left. Uh, Budgie was the first to move, I think, because um, he works quite closely with Alchemist. And um, mm. I think, you know, he, I think Alchemist said, if you come to LA, work for my studio, I'll hook you up with all the artists. You don't. They've, they've just got a really they're like brothers they're like that's awesome. crazy their sort of connection and so he was just like you know screw this i'm gonna go to la and like he he, he had a khalil when we did a living proof new york met a girl <laughs> and uh in fact i think snip oh no snips met his wife there but khalil moved over for a girl to new york and then snips followed Soon after, uh, he's always been New York obsessed. Like, he's like as hip hop as it gets. Like, he lives and breathes it. So, him not living in New York, kind of like, he just was like a fish out of water. London's his home, but it wasn't really. He, he was meant to. Gone to Mecca. <laughs> but individually, everyone's doing different things. You know, um, Snips and Budgie focusing on um, production. Khalil's doing like Twitch live streams, just kind of like staying busy. So are they, no, are they using the, the Living Proof brand around? The- well, I mean, people know, but no, they're right. kind of, everyone's got their own individual thing on. Thing, yeah. like, musically as well, we're, like, uh, I definitely veered off the most uh, from straying away from hip-hop. 
Um, and Khalil is kind of just as much like a party DJ. Like he'll play loads of like drum and bass and jungle and Afro beats and, 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 and whatnot. But you know, when we do living proof, it's, it's a hip hop party, but no, um, I mean, well, Khalil's Instagram name is Khalil living proof. So okay. oh, that's pretty, that's pretty straightforward. <laughs> yeah. So I guess everyone sort of, um, uses, the brand a bit, but we're not doing anything actively as living proof. Right. Okay. It feels weird too, because if I'm honest, it's, it's always, yeah, it's about us, but it's always, it's kind of more about the party, you know, mm. like without the party, it feels weird to push stuff. I think there's been two different approaches during lockdown. One, which is like, Oh, okay. I'm not DJing or in the clubs, but I sort of need to stay present, which sort of works on a individual basis. But, the party we 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 were we were so bad with social media. We'd only post it when we're like, right, we got a party next week. We should probably sell some tickets. But we 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 didn't really we didn't think of it as a brand as such. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, we ran twelve years. We only did like two t-shirts, and everyone was like, why don't you do more merch and do this and what? And the truth is, we were just one. We were a bit badly organized. Two, the four of us individually couldn't agree on much. We could like even for us to agree to a t-shirt design would be like a hundred WhatsApp messages arguing back and forth, or face to face where we'd just be screaming at each other, going, "You don't know your music. You dress crap. Look at your way you dress. There's no way. There's no way we're trusting you. We're like brothers, you know. We've been we've known each other that long and weren't really like. And I think I think there actually was a point where we're like, you know what? For the sake of our friendship, let's like just accept it for what it is, which is a party that, you know, friends who are like brothers because they've known each other so long run, but let's not like, you know, we could have pushed it more and maybe we needed like a lead figure, but when you go into something as a partnership, all equal, sometimes it's hard to make decisions when, when personalities clash. So no, we've not actually been doing much um, with Living Proof. Bubble Chamber, there's like a monthly radio show on um, Balamy. Mm-hmm. Um, even that, it, like, it doesn't have the same energy because we have to re- record it from home. And I think, the, it, again, with Bubble Chamber, it was so much about the people. It's like a big crew, there's six of us. And it was more just like going out to radio or the party as a crew, hanging out all of our friends around and... Um, you know that so we're sort of like doing the radio show remotely um but yeah the the, the brands of um brands not brand the parties i even hate that i use that term brand but mm-hmm. um the parties have kind of um sometimes without a space for them you know i definitely had the conversation Actually, some of the Living Proof like, wanted to do stuff. They wanted to do live streams. They wanted to do this and that. And I was like, I don't really want to do it because everyone's doing it. And Bubble Chamber, everyone was in agreement. Everyone was like, let's just party. Let's just like forget about it for a bit. When, when the clubs reopen, we'll, we'll, start, we'll start being active, so to speak. Yeah. So, so we're all in agreement there. What, what, before, um, like just going back to what we like sort of um, discussing earlier about, um, you know, keeping keeping um finding like ways to sort of adapt to the change like what's happening now so keeping busy and and like just doing things like is this 
I, I'm, I tell me a bit about that. Like you, I, I read it in your your uh, uh, questions before about yeah. you know wanting to kind of like just keep keep active. So is that um, and and you were saying before well, you know doing music production, you know finding new ways to keep creative, just just keeping the mind stimulated and working towards yeah. yeah. How is that? Is that something that you uh, encourage, like you know, enforce, encourage yourself every day to just keep busy and and yeah, a hundred percent. Like, I don't know whether it's the Indian in me, like, like you know, my parents, you know, obviously, um, I was born in London, but I'm Indian, and the work ethic of brown people it can be insane, you know, like and. <laughs> And also, you know, I, I, I picked a very unorthodox career path where mm. you should have been a doctor. Age, well, I mean, you, you say that kind of jokingly, but up until the age of very late in my career, you know, I had my mum and dad say, um, okay, but you're going to stop this, right? And go back uh, to uni and study accounting or like yeah, yeah. be a doctor. You know, um, but if I don't have work, I will make myself work. Yeah. You know, like yep. if, okay, I don't have parties or I'm not uh, do, working for this company or that company. I'll just make my own. I wake up, I'll do a to-do list. I've got a whiteboard in front of me and I'll be like, right, well, you've got to make, make a beat today or you've got to like record a mix and edit a video to it or, you know, like um, go to studio, um, go see Charles, go I'm working with, like see what's going on. Like, there's always I, something I, to do, right? If you, if there's you, always something yeah. to do, and um, if if other people aren't giving you work, you make your own work, and and kind of like even when I've had day jobs, people people have think people have thought I'm mad because I've walked out of really nice day jobs where they're like, "Why did you do that? Like, why have you walked out of that position?" And I mainly do it because I like to constantly challenge myself, and I like to not get comfortable and i also like the being my own boss but even with an amazing job you're still someone else's you know like you're still working for someone else mm. um so during lockdown i've done loads of just like self-initiated projects where not even during lockdown like i think my whole life i've just like just writing a to-do list on my phone or what is so like, do you <laughs> do you think it is a cultural thing like um as well like that ingrained in you because I, I can relate to it from because my back my heritage is greek and you know mm. greeks were when they moved to australia they, they were hard working and 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 that was something not you know that was something that was ingrained in me as well so i can relate to what you're saying i'm, I'm always like if i don't if i haven't got work or business i'm just like make keep myself busy you know like just trying to find ways to to make an income or you know yeah um yeah, I mean, I, 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 I think it is. Not, not saying that non-Indian or Greek people don't yeah, work exactly. hard. Exactly. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. But, you, you know, I, what you said about your parents, I think there's a thing of, um, you know. I think it was um, the, the migrants kind yeah, of way. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like my, my parents moved over in the, in, in the 70s and mm. my mum my was 18, couldn't speak English and, you know, like. Mm -mm. I think I think uh, you 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 do you do work harder and um, you do have parents who kind of 
expect it of you as well. Yeah. And I think um, because I picked an unorthodox thing where my uh, my brother works in accounting, my dad works in accounting, everyone's like, what are you doing? Like, they, that's not a real job. Like, how do you explain <laughs> the concept of, you know, boiler room to your your mum? Your mum who was born and raised in India, like, how do you explain that? And, you know, it took a long while for them to understand it. Like, um, I think the first time I remember my mum being like, um, oh, wow. You know, I'd done loads of stuff that I thought was like way cooler. You know what I mean? I'd, like, you know, but saying, hey, I booked ASAP Rocky's first European show doesn't mean much to my mum. <laughs> Or like, hey, I'm a resident of NTS Radio, which for me is the ultimate radio station. But when I did BBC Asian Network, she heard the word BBC, which she recognised. Yeah. She heard the word Asian. <laughs> she was like, wow, that's amazing. I was like, really? It's kind of naff for me, but it, it meant something. To, you know, when I say I put on events with artists uh, and I, I say, hey, I'm doing a party with this amazing DJ or producer or rapper or do you mean my mum can only quit so it's so, so sort of like madonna at the o2 and i'm like yeah sort of like that but much much smaller like you know i can't explain that i'm throwing a rave in the in the basement of a sex dungeon to my mum but like you know from what she knows of sort of western music culture it's probably consumed through tv she's not going clubbing she's not you know mm. so um uh i yeah, I kind of, I, I definitely think the 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 work the work ethic sort of does derive from them in it. In a yeah. sense, even though it's not necessarily the work that they wanted me to do, I, I think it was. I, I sometimes I sometimes question whether, like now, some of that um, ethos or that mentality or that kind of mindset is actually practical for, in today's times. I just don't think, like, because I, the, to me. I found also because my folks came to Australia just post um, their kids of um, industrial revolution, I guess. Like came and then, and of course the um, uh, my, the the depression from post depression, like from the the, the depression era. So there was like this scarcity. You mean, you mean your parents? Well, well, my grandmother and then my grandmother right, right. moving to Australia and taking well, both their families, because obviously they're two separate families, but they came in the 50s into Australia, which was right. kind of, you know, and so that I feel like that whole hard work ethic was there is a, there's a, a mentality of scarcity as well. Like I felt, I feel like there, there's this kind of like fear of survival, which is it, it's all it's all it's all real. It's real, like that was real to them. But that mentality now can also work against you. Like, oh, yeah, we've got to pay bills and we've got to pay rents mm. and what have you. But I feel like that coming from a place of just kind of like to do whatever and work actually has a detrimental kind of you know it, it can work against you. I don't know if you found that. That's that been my experience. But of it, like but working too hard. Yeah, know. yeah, excessively and, and, and not following. Because, you know, there's, there's, you know, I think there is a, a part of it. I think that people can follow their passions as well. You know, I think that 
to to a, to a degree, you know, like there is, um, we can we I feel that you know we have that we can follow our passions, whereas yeah. whereas before it was kind of it was different for them, you know. Yeah, I mean, a thing I'm known for is um, so even like the jobs, the the jobs I've I've left, and um, a thing I'm known for is I hate that it's such a corny term, but it's the work hard, play hard. So mm-hmm. like, I do work, you know, incredibly hard when I do. But one thing I do a lot is uh, travel, um, and I DJ while I travel and stuff. But you know, I've I've left jobs and then i've just gone traveling for like four or five like i think 10 months you know i'm like uh I, I i really love traveling so yeah. and actually something i've learned this year about myself is obviously like everyone uh uk's lock lock locked down to many extents there's travel restrictions and and whatnot so this is the longest since february i've i've been in london without going and i mean i've gone to other parts of the uk on a little day trip to the beach or something but this is the longest i've not got my passport and gone to another country and done something whether i'm working on an event yeah. or doing a gig but i and, and i've actually realized you know i think a lot of people have done a lot of realization about themselves i've definitely realized that i've probably used travel as a way of balancing my work life ratio mm. because well, you work very hard when you're in London and not that I don't look at emails and do work. I've traveled so much that I have to kind of like, kind of always be working, yep. Yep. but you, you do sort of get a bit of a, you do get a bit of a pass um, when an email comes or a, a, a call comes and maybe it's something you don't necessarily want to deal with right away or it's not urgent. And you're like, hey, I'm I'm traveling right now, and they're like, oh, okay, just hit, hit us back when you're back. So y- y- you can use it as a sort of self-regulation. <laughs> of, uh, and 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 then I don't I don't know that I'm in Asia and my wife's Taiwanese, and I'm actually going to be there for like a month or two months. But you know, like they're like, oh, okay, okay, he's not he's not in work mode. He's in play. He's in Raj play mode right now. So <laughs> so I, I and and now just being stuck in London, I'm like I, I I've, I've I've actually realized. I've used it for, cause I, I do think you can overwork. Like it's a big problem. Mm. It's a big problem with mm. our generation. I think it's amplified in times like this, when you wake up, everyone's working from home, you just work and then you work even later because there's not the like, Oh, it's five o'clock or six o'clock time to go home. You just keep working until you fall asleep, what have a meal. And then, you know, people, people do overwork. And, um, but I've re- regulated it a lot with intervals of being, you know, I'm clocking off for a few months, you know, and then, um, and then I'll come back and I'll throw myself into a particular project, mm. and kind of work with someone or, yeah. or work on this, you know, something. Yeah. Um, did, 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 so, did, um, sorry, go on. You want to say? No, no. Yeah. But to answer your question, I, I do think, yeah, there, there are like, you know, w- yeah, I think your question was kind of about is can you like the work ethic be not a, a good thing? Well, Which I yeah, still- it, it, I think no. What I was getting at is that you obviously even with your passion, you still need to po- apply hard work. But sometimes there's that no, you need to you no just work 
don't worry about your passion, just work, <laughs> you know, like sometimes, oh, right. you know what I mean? Like, and that was kind of something that was challenging for my upbringing as well, um, you know, to find, you know, that, you know, a job that wasn't, and it took a while, you know, but, and, you know, I mean, let's face it, I mean, the, the music industry isn't probably the easiest job either, like to, 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 to get into and, and, and no. have a yeah, sustainable no. income and, and that requires a lot of hard work and dedication. That's where I was getting at. Did you did yeah. you learn a lot of this stuff as well from um, your father? Was he? Um, no, no. I knew, I knew you were going to bring this up, but um, so the reason you, you I, I, not at all actually. Okay. My, so my brother, my brother, um, my brother and dad all worked in accounting. The right. reason um, I know you said this is because I think a big turning point for me was the passing of my father. Yeah, but almost for. Almost for the exact opposite of him teaching me. <laughs> like he had a strong work ethic, but actually, oh, um, like one thing I've always done is travel a lot, and um, one thing I've always done, to be honest, is follow my passions. Um, even like you know, even where it was at the detriment of what could be a career, but then stuck with it, and eventually my passion sort of became my career. But my father passing uh, uh, was a, a pivotal moment for me because one of the last things he said to me was, I was traveling a lot and, uh, uh, and you know, I did have like Indian parents were like, why are you always traveling? You need to be working. You need to be taking life seriously. Or what's this DJing about? Or what are these parties you do like that? that you got you to gotta take stuff seriously. You know, it's kind of the conversation yeah. I had up until very recently where suddenly from doing better you know my mum came around but my, my, my dad was actually first to come around and I think one thing he said which stuck with me a bit because um, he worked his whole entire life and then when it finally came to like being retired and enjoying he still kind of worked and then he wanted to travel and then he was sort of like too old to do it and he kind of said that to me and he was like I think you're doing it the right the right way around mm. and like mm. you know having sort of these mini retirements your whole yeah. life um, and, um, and, and, and doing that. And then actually like, I, I, I normally hate these sort of, um, self-help books, but you know, when my father passed away, me and my brother was clearing out his stuff and clearing out his, um, clearing out his office and his library. And his whole wall was filled with books about accounting and Indian politics. Like that's all it was. And then there was one book which was uh, 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 The 4-Hour Work Week by Tim Ferriss. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, which was like, you know, the byline on it is uh, uh, leave your nine to five and like, uh, I can't remember, but it's basically like just leave your job and like yeah. work as little as you can and enjoy as much as you can and get you. Um, and I read that book and then um, it, it really rung true with what was essentially kind of like my dad's kind of like final sort of like message to me and that 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 convinced me even more that um i mean that book is uh is a i mean maybe people i think super powerful ceos can do it but essentially it's about like outsourcing to people below you which i noticed you did because 
you didn't email me. You've got an assistant emailing me scheduling calls. So I'm just like, you, you I, I'm like, wow, who's this guy Beyonce? Like, it's just a <laughs> like, <laughs> come on, mate. You're not that busy, but I get, I totally get what you're trying to do and it, it probably works for you. But mate, I, I, I definitely, I definitely take, take that ethos on not working all the time and like really getting to enjoy, um, life and passions and stuff. Um, mm. So I respect it. I rate, I rate that you've got an assistant emailing me about your podcast. <laughs> well, mate, look, it was, um, it was an absolute pleasure chatting with you today. Um, I'm glad that we got to do it. Uh, why don't you tell the listeners where they can find you and uh, yeah, tell them about your shows and where they can hear you. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, at Raji Rags, R-A-J-I-R-A-G-S. Um, is my um, Instagram and Twitter. Uh, you can catch me monthly on NTS Radio. Uh, again, Raji Rags. I've got a monthly show um, of Bubble Chamber on Ballamy and um, got a website, rajirags.com, where I've got like, like, work, like, I don't know, an insane amount of archived um, podcasts and mixes and radio shows and Bit, bits I've done everything Boiler Room Living Proof the whole the whole works yeah you know? awesome awesome once again mate awesome thank you so much for coming on to the show a, thank you for having me awesome really Great. such a pleasure alright mate take care speak to you soon thank you for listening to Electronic Music Life what were your thoughts please let me know I love hearing from you And if you love this show, please share it, follow, and subscribe on your favorite platform. For all things James Locksmith, check out jameslocksmith.net. Until next week, here's to your electronic music life. Much love and plenty of music. Music.